You're watching Profile Pod TV with Double A. And always remember to take it easy. Hey, what's up, guys? Double A here. Real quick, I just wanted to do a prelude to this episode. Just wanted to tell you how much this episode means to me, this experience, to get to interview Danny De La Paz, a.k.a. Big Puppet, a.k.a. Chuco. It was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. It was a huge milestone in my podcasting career. And not only that, just a great experience in life. You know, get to get to interview someone who's done some really, really um, extensive work as an actor. You know, myself being an actor, it's just a great, great honor, you know, and privilege to get to do something like this. You know, leading up to the episode, I was really excited. I was nervous. I was I was just I was so looking forward to this. And Danny was super, super humble, uh, candid, uh, very uh, energetic and passionate about what he did here. And sitting down with me and recording, you know, this episode. Um, but this, again, this says a lot about him as a person, as a human being to take the time to come over to my house and record this episode, you know, not knowing really, you know, who I was because, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm not where I want to be yet, you know, and he, again, uh, he didn't know me from Adam and he really, really just knocked it out of the park, man. And uh, again, I can't, I can't, emphasize enough what this means to me you know what I mean just how how much I learned from this experience and this is just bottom line just exciting man really really cool so I just wanted to you know check in real quick let you guys know that this was a really cool episode Danny actually came uh, you know as he came in he sat down and he started doing reciting a, a monologue or lines from a movie that I was very familiar with in an Italian accent. And it was actually the movie The Bronx Tale. I recognized it right away when he, was, when he sat down. <laughs> and uh, I thought, I was thinking, this is how cool is this, man? Danny De La Paz, big puppet, is acting out The Bronx Tale, one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, it was just totally, totally random, totally random. But uh, he was acting out the part where um, so the actor or the character Sonny from the movie The Bronx Tale is explaining to a young um, C. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. A young C about the the door test, you know, where you you know you're only allowed three great ones in life, meaning women. And the door test is, you know, when uh, you you open the door for your date or the woman, the, your, the female, and she sits down and she reaches over. As soon as you, she closes the door, you close the door for her, she reaches over and opens the door and locks the door for you. As you get over to the driver's side, and meaning, you know, that 
if she did that, made that gesture, that she was considered one of the great ones, you know, and that she was a really special woman. And if, if she didn't do that, that you should dump her right away. But anyways, he was acting that scene out, and I thought that was the coolest thing, man. But anyways, I just, again, thank you so much for tuning in to this. If you're listening, this is a really cool experience for Double A for myself. And a very cool episode, very special episode to say the least. Danny, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you, man, for being so honest, genuine, and passionate about doing this. So, uh, again, thank I can't thank you enough, man. So, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy this episode. I hope you do. Um, give me some feedback. Give me some comments in the uh, on Instagram at profile pod tv underscore let me know what you think shoot me a dm rate and review on apple podcasts and let me know let me know what you think i'd really appreciate it all right because this is again this is a, a a huge huge milestone for me so enjoy this episode and we'll see you soon on profile pod tv thank you so much Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Profile Pod TV. I'm your host, Double A, back for another spectacular episode. It's Labor Day. It's a special, special edition of Profile Pod. As you can see, we're here in studio with a very, very special guest. Before we get to our special guest, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to subscribe to Profile Pod TV on YouTube. Click on that purple logo there at the bottom right-hand corner of your screen. And you will have subscribed to a very, very cool podcast. Uh, leave me a rate review. Follow me on Instagram. Give me some feedback. Tell me how much you love the podcast, how much you love my hair. <laughs> Don't forget to do that, ladies and gentlemen. Just getting these housekeeping out of the way. And if you haven't heard, we are now, we meaning Social Nostro at Profile Pod TV, are on Roku. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't heard, big announcement we made yesterday. So uh, tap into Roku if you have a Roku player. Just bring up Social Nostra in the search, load the channel, and you're in. You will have uh, viewing pleasure of many, many podcasts, including this one. So if you want uh, entertainment, if you want golf, if you want uh, lifestyle, we have a little bit of everything on the network. So check us out on Roku, ladies and gentlemen. So if, with all that being said, again, we have a very, very special guest. This gentleman needs no introduction, and I'm very humbled that he's here in the studio um, this is a huge milestone for myself, I have to say, and I have to be thankful, I have to be uh, very, very grateful that he's taken the time to be here with us right here in the studio. Like I said, he needs no introduction. He's been on some of the biggest, biggest stages, some of the biggest movies in Hollywood history, and this is the man they call Chuko, the one they call uh, uh, Big Puppet. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, for the first time on Profile Pod, Mr. Danny De La Paz, how are you? I'm good, brother. I'm good. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast. Oh, no. Thank you, Danny, for taking the time. You know, it's a pleasure having you here, man. And, you know, I, I love the colors. You Go Dodgers, you know. <laughs> yeah, go Dodgers. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, man. No, no, no doubt. How's everything been uh, with, with, with everything? Everything's good. I, I recently moved to uh, San Antonio, Texas about a year ago. 
So I'm living out there now, but I come to LA like maybe two or three times a year on business. So I'm here now on a on a business trip. So hence we can do the podcast, which is nice. Oh yeah, no, no, no doubt, man. And, and how is the Texas life, man, compared to LA? I mean, you grew up in LA, and 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 you and you hear a lot of people just. It's like a mass exodus right now. People going to Texas and Arizona, all these different states, man. Talk a little bit about that experience, man, please. It's you. just a different flavor is all, but I've been coming and going for over 30 years. So I'm already very familiar with Texas, not just San Antonio, but other cities as well. But San Antonio, for me, I don't know, that place is very uh, has this kind of a magical quality for me. I always felt at home there, even when I first visited. So um, I don't know if there's something about that place maybe i lived there in another life i don't know but there's some kind of a special connection between me and san antonio so i feel very much very much at home very comfortable there no doubt no doubt and you have your uh, your small business there going on and yeah your, your i have adventures. a shop there at the uh, trader's village uh, flea market i have my own shop there with all my memorabilia that i sell from the movies i've been in and stuff that i create for the fans you know it's nice. Um, it's a it's a place for the fans to come and where they can see me, and where they can get a little something if they want, you know. Or if nothing else, um, they can get a picture and, and a little bit of interaction, you know. So uh, and it's great because the fans, man, they're wonderful. They they all come from all over the place and they have such a passion for these films. And I'm grateful that you know my work has touched them in some way, and that even after all these years, because you know some of these movies that they love are they're getting up there in years now. But they still, um, they still love those films and love to watch them over and over again, and it, it means a lot to them. So I'm happy to be able to provide a little something that brings a little joy into their life, you know, because I'm a collector myself, so I kind of know where they're coming from. I see. Yeah, no, I've seen a lot of your footage on, on Instagram, your, your, your videos, and uh, a lot of cool, yeah, that memorabilia is just uh, unbelievable, man. It, it's uh, a huge uh, market now, memorabilia, oh, and yeah. autograph signings, and people going out and doing, you know, signings. For sure. Live, you know, meet and greets, they call them. It's, it's, I remember when I was the only one out there doing it, um, back in the, um, you know, late 90s. Okay. Mid to late 90s. Um, I started in Japan, oh, wow. of all places. That's where I began my marketing journey. Yeah, I, I got invited out to Japan, and I didn't have any merch. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And the Japanese guy told me, well, can you make a sweatshirt or some posters? Yes. And I thought, okay, and that's how the whole thing started. But can you imagine I went all the way out there, thousands of miles away from home. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting there at this car show behind a table for the first time, right, doing this. And um, I've got some posters and some sweatshirts that I made. And I didn't really know, what what do you do? Now you have the merch, it's at the table, you're at the table, you're sitting there, what happens next? You know, I'm mm-hmm. sitting there like, okay, what do, what do I do now? Well, people come up and, you know, you engage them, you, you interact. Oh, <laughs> I, yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. And I was <laughs> clueless, clueless in Japan, isn't that hilarious? <laughs> but it worked in Japan, and so then I came back to the States and thought, well, man, if it could work out there... Maybe I could uh, make it work over here. So, but you know, I was lucky I was able to do it because of the fan base, because of the relationship that that I particularly, specifically had, uh-huh. because of the films I've been in, the roles I played with the fans. If it had not been for that, there would have been no foundation to build a business on. Oh, yeah. But back then, I was the only one. I'd be the only Latino actor out there. There was nobody doing it. Oh, I can Not a soul. Now, 
it's like wow it's there everywhere there's if you have a favorite movie you're bound to be able to find one of your favorite actors from that movie doing a meet and greet somewhere on mm-hmm. the planet at some time you know oh. but back then there was i was just the lone ranger out there wow yeah and then you're talking like you said uh, mid late 90s 96 97 yeah. okay 98 yeah interesting man and you know what's interesting too danny i i've noticed in japan you know and in, in, in Tell us if if you've uh, there's a big time uh, Chicano uh, you know culture out there lowrider culture out in, in Japan right there were, you, is. were you able to kind of see some of that out there I absolutely did and mm. um, I I was so impressed by it yeah. I was impressed by the fact that the, that the word Chicano that the definition of Chicano could be broadened mm. to the point where people from another country could also be Chicano. Because they feel the same way that Chicanos feel here. They love family. They value respect. They value children. They value community. Mm. All the same values that we have. They're spiritual people. Mm. They have different religions, but they believe in God. And um, they love low riding. And I mean not as a trend, not as a fashion statement. They're wearing the clothes and they're living the lifestyle because it represents who they feel they are. Absolutely. And that blew me away. I was like, wow. You'd be in a room with 30, 40 people that if you didn't, you know, look closely enough, you'd think they were your Mexican-American brothers and sisters. But they were all Japanese. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's unbelievable. And I remember seeing a lot of that, um, you know, getting glimpses of that in Lowrider Magazine back in the the Mm -hmm. mid-90s, you know, back when I was in the Navy and, you know, I I was out, you know, out to sea somewhere and, uh, you know, I seeing these these uh, images you know yeah. of, of wow japanese and, and really embracing and adopting the chicano culture man it was really cool to see man but yeah you and, know. and i you know some people when they first saw it were kind of taken aback by it like well you know are they just making fun of us or are they trying to copy us i was like no it's not like that they're doing it from the corazón they're doing it because it comes from deep within them yeah. they embrace it because they love it they, they they feel it's part of who they are and uh, that that was absolutely fascinating to me. I was like, "Wow, what an eye opener that was!" Definitely, very cool. Good man. people out there, very good people. I've had some wonderful times in Japan, mm. and I've been maybe eight, nine times. I don't know, somewhere in there. But uh, made very, very good friends, dear friends, and I'm friends with to this day that I've known for over twenty years. Wow, well, eight or nine times. That's a, yeah, that's a lot. When I was overseas, yeah, I never got to Japan. I got to Hong Kong. I got to uh, Singapore. Thailand, you know, those areas. But, yeah, Japan, man, yeah, it's a, we're a beautiful country. I've, I've seen pictures. Of it the, is beautiful. heard stories, you know. Great food, too. The food is wonderful. Oh, man. And yeah. I love the Japanese beer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt, man. Yeah, it, so, Danny, you, obviously, you've been in some, you, you know, you've been in movies, and you, you're an actor. Um, some big-time, uh, everybody knows you from, obviously, American Me, Boulevard Nights. Uh, but, yeah, let's talk a little bit about your other roles, man. You, you've done some a, a lot of work. You have a very broad body of work, man. And uh, back, let's we'll take it back to set 1979, where you uh, were in the movie uh, Cuba as uh, Mr. Uh, I'm sorry. I was like a young revolutionary yeah. named Julio. Julio Maderos, right? Yeah, Maderos. Yeah. Maderos. Whose father had been arrested and jailed for his political beliefs. Mm-hmm. And it was the, um, the transition from the from the Batista regime into the Castro regime. Yep. So yep. it was the late 50s. Revolution and all that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, we had just finished shooting Boulevard Nights in October of 78. And then um, 
I was cast in that film with Sean Connery and all these big stars. And we, I left on, I think it was Thanksgiving or the day before Thanksgiving of 1978. Maybe about a month later after Boulevard Nights, five weeks after we'd done shooting. Uh-huh. Okay. Because we finished shooting Boulevard Nights just prior to Halloween of 78. So okay. like a month later, I was on a plane headed to Spain. I was going to ask you, where did you, where did you shoot that? Yeah, yeah, we shot it in Spain. And I'd oh. never been out of the country before, so that was a real game changer for me. Uh-huh. And how old were you at that time? I was 21. I was 21 years old, and I found myself, um, you know, waking up in a foreign country, and yeah, it was really, that was a like a Twilight Zone experience yeah. for me. And it was good because, you know, I'd grown up watching movies with my mom on television, you know, they used to show a lot of reruns back in the days when oh, you yeah. only had 12 channels or whatever <laughs> it was, you know, uh-huh. 10 channels. For sure. And um, so I, I was a big Beatle fan, too, as a kid, because I was raised in the 60s, you know? And um, one of the films the Beatles did, well, two of the movies they did, A Hard Day's Night and Help, were directed by this man named Richard Lester, mm-hmm. who was an American, but he had moved to England. Mm-hmm. And um, an expatriate, right, from here, from Philadelphia, I think it was. Okay. Anyway, he was the director of Cuba. Yeah. So I ended up working with this man whose, whose work I had already enjoyed as a youngster, you know, and with all these actors that I'd grown up seeing on episodes of the Twilight Zone and watching their movies and you know we didn't have the internet back then of course yeah. but if we had had the internet I would have been much better informed I would have known more about each of these actors histories which which meant I could have engaged them in a different way but without that information uh-huh. I didn't know a lot of their history you know um, I was also a big James Dean fan at the time since my high school days in the mid seventies, right, and um, some of these actors had worked with him, but I didn't know that. Oh. And if I had known that, you think I wouldn't have sat down with them and said, "Man, tell me what it was like to work with Jimmy Dean." It would have been amazing the stories they could have told. Gosh, man. But it didn't happen because I just wasn't armed with the information. Right. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. And talk a little bit about some of those uh, interactions with maybe Sean Connery. You know, what was that? What was he like? Oh, Sean was great. He was awesome. You know, Sean had been, uh, you know, catapulted to fame through his um, 007 yeah. role as James you know, Bond. James and, Bond. Oh wow. So this was the post Bond period when Sean was left Bond behind and was trying to find himself in other roles mm-hmm. in other films and this was one of them what I didn't know at the time talk about not being informed right was that um, Sean was not happy with the script Oh. Okay. and you know looking back now and being more knowledgeable about it all you know after the film came out after I saw the film I could see that the movie Sean was um, frustrated because the script wasn't at the level or at the quality that he oh. wanted to be when he was working on the He was film. the big star, right? He was, he was the, big. the big star. So he had a lot invested in it. It meant a lot to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know that at the mm-hmm. time. I didn't know. I was just there trying to figure out how to do my 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 thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it was a great experience working with Sean. He was, he was wonderful. He was a good guy. Had a lot of um, good times working on that film. And, of course, experiencing living in a foreign country for ten weeks. Mm. Two and a half months. Yeah. Yeah, I really did get homesick. I mean, like I never felt before. I, I, I'll never forget. I remember when the plane landed when I got home in January of 79. 
I got off the plane and I got, you know, walked down the. These used to deboard planes, not through this rampy thing, but on steps. Okay. And I walked down the steps and stepped out a little bit onto the asphalt, you know, and I got down on my knees and I kissed it. Is that right? <laughs> because I was so happy to be home. Um, oh, I see. I, see. I was so yeah. appreciative of home. Wow. I never felt that way towards home like I did from being in a foreign country for 10 weeks. Because, you know, week after week after week, it gets a little stronger, that feeling of wanting to have things more recognizable or more comfortable. But uh, that was just, you know, me being young and not having had the experience of traveling a lot. Because we couldn't afford it. We couldn't afford to go to Spain or travel to Europe when oh. I was, even when I was in my early 20s. You now my parents didn't have that kind of money. For sure. No, you know, Danny, I, you made me flash back to my experience when I first, you know, got onto my, um, reported to my duty station in the Navy. I literally flew onto a carrier, the USS Nimitz. And uh, I was out in, uh, we were out in the Pacific Ocean. And I was just, it was just mind-blowing, man. And after a while, you know, we, we went back to Washington while I was stationed. And, yeah, that homesickness, man, it just really, I was 18 years old. And, you oh, know, yeah. it, like you said, it made you, it may it makes you appreciate home, you know, yeah. where you come from and that much more. It's like that know? saying, you know, you don't know what you got until you lose it. Yeah. And then yeah. suddenly you realize what you had and how much it means to you, what the value of it is. Mm -hmm. You know, being an American and the American way of life and, you know, your home, your bed, your your people, your surroundings. Now, of course, traveling is a wonderful thing for me. I, I do enjoy it very much. For sure. And I don't have that feeling anymore. But at that time, you know, I was a travel virgin, I guess you could say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I enjoyed Spain. I loved it. But like about week four, week five, it started to creep in. You know, I was like, wow. This is really something, just being away from home and writing letters. We used to write letters back because we yeah. didn't have email. There was no computer. Well, there were computers, but they weren't common. Personal computers weren't common back then. Right, right. And what, what city were you guys in, in in Spain? We shot mostly in the south of Spain in a, a town called Jerez. Oh, okay. Yeah, J-E-R-E-Z. Oh, like... Pronounced uh, Jerez. Like, well, yeah. Well, there's Jerez Zacatecas, right? Yes. There's, there's Jerez there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and they pronounced the, the, the... There's that... Th yeah, sound, the right? TH sound, TH right. sound in Spain. So my name in Spain was Danny de la Paz. Yeah, I see. Wow, interesting, man. Interesting. Yeah, and, and so you, you came home, man, and you know, fast forward to uh, May 1980, you were in another film, uh, Border Cop with Telly Savalas. Well, that was uh, I came home in um, I think it was uh, January okay. of '79 from making Cuba. And then um, I was home for a few months, and then on my birthday, which was April 3 of 79, um, you know, when I came home, obviously, we had the opening of Boulevard Nights. Mm -hmm. That was the 23rd of March. Okay. And then a little over a week later, 10 days later, it was my 22nd birthday, and I flew to Mexico to make The Border, it was called then, with Telly Savalas and Eddie Albert. So I didn't have a lot of time being at home because my career was kind of... At that time, it was boom, 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 three yeah. films in a row, you know? And it was, a, the script wasn't that great, really, but it was a lot of money for me uh -huh. and a good opportunity to, you know, be seen in a movie with major stars, you know? And I had good billing and all that. And, and it was a good experience. Went to Mexico, went to um, 
Durango, Mexico, where they make a lot of films. Yes, yes. And had a really interesting experience, you know, really good. Which coincidentally is uh, where my uh, father was born in the state of Durango in, in Mexico, and um, yeah, yeah, they make a lot of movies. And you know, I just think of, of uh, John Candy. Remember the big comedian actor? Yes. Uh, rest in peace. He he passed away in in, in Durango filming. Uh, making a film. Making a film. Yeah. You know, when we were there, it was. Uh, April, May of 79, and at that time, Burt Lancaster was there, and John Savage from The Deer Hunter. Oh, okay, yeah. And they were making a film called Catalania and Little Britches, so we were all, like, staying in the same hotel, and um, I would see oh, okay. that cast wandering yeah. around or see him in the lobby or in the, the bar of course you know all the actors <laughs> always eventually they gravitate toward the bar because you know always right that's how they dealt with their homesickness and all that yeah but um yeah those are you know great experiences making those films or and I was trying to, I was a young person trying to find my way in the industry and you know I'm, I'm a Mexican American kid trying to figure out how do I fit in to mm -hmm. all this you know and uh, trying to Play these, trying to get roles where I felt that they fit me, you know, like get in where you fit in, kind mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. But it was all looking back. It was just a, I was very blessed, very very blessed to be involved in these films. Yeah. And then I came home, and that's when I had my biggest gap. Is from what time I made the border. Uh -huh. I think I came home in May of 1979, and then I didn't leave again for over a year. When I went to Texas to make Barbarossa with Willie Nelson, oh, okay. which I love that film, by the way. That's one of my favorite films I've ever been in was Barbarossa. What year was that? I'm sorry. Dave. It was shot in 1980, but it wasn't released until 82. Okay. Barbarossa. Yeah. Because the company that made it went out of business. I see. And then the new company that came in and took over, they had to figure out how to deal with all these films that were made prior to their takeover. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it was, uh, Barbarossa kind of got lost between the cracks so to speak and pretty much dumped it just got dumped into theaters okay maybe in texas and a few in california i don't know oh, okay it wasn't <coughs> it didn't worldwide yeah. or yeah. nationwide no it, it got the most low budget release you could give to a film so mm. that the company wouldn't have have to put out fork out that much money mm. <laughs> that's what yeah. poor barbara's got <laughs> now it's considered uh, by western aficionados to be you know, like a classic, Whoa. a neo-classic western. It's, it's quite beloved and has a cult following. Um, so, you know, that's what my movies actually, many of them became, was they developed very specific cult followings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. obviously Boulevard Nights and American Me were the Chicano community, right. of course. Of you course. Know? But Barbarossa with the western aficionados... And, um, you know, a lot of the films I've been in, they just, I did one called 315 in the 80s that reeks of the 80s. <laughs> I like to say it's so bad, it's good. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you're embarrassed by performances you gave in films or you're embarrassed by the films because, they, you know, they're not really the, the level of quality you would hope they were. Uh -huh. The script wasn't all that great. And, you know, maybe I needed a director with a stronger hand to rein me in a little bit more and exercise a bit more restraint because, you know, I was chewing up the scenery and all the other actors just gobbling, up, gobbling them up like Pac-Man, you know? Right. But there's people out there that love those movies. Yeah. They love those films that you think are stinkers. Right. They, they love them. 
And who am I to blow against the wind? You of course. Know what I mean? Of course. I respect that. Definitely. And actually, they've helped me to get over my phobias about, or my embarrassment about my bad performances, quote unquote. <laughs> they've made me just embrace them and love them, you know. And they taught me that it's part of my growth as an actor. You can't be brilliant in everything. Mm. There's some things you're going to try and you're going to fail. Of course. But even your failure is enjoyable to people. They yeah. get derive pleasure from it. So like I say, who am I to blow against the wind? If you like it and you enjoy it, God bless you, you know? Of course. No, it, it, those are, I mean, in retrospect, would you say, I mean, it, you were taking opportunities that were coming your way, too, mm -hmm. right, as an actor. Um, and there weren't a lot of them sometimes, yeah. to be honest with you. I, You know, I wasn't that television guy that you could put into a TV series. I, I couldn't, you know, there's a certain way you had to, a certain mode a performance, shall we say, mm -hmm. that you had to subscribe to in order to do well in the television world. And I, I just wasn't that, that wasn't my, mm -hmm. I didn't excel I see. working in that mode. Uh -huh. I was much better suited to feature films. I see. But trying to find roles that had some sort of modicum of dignity to them, that was the challenge, you know. Because I didn't want to be a sellout, and I didn't want to do things that were embarrassing to my community, even though I was getting offers to do them, because they'll give you money to act like the fool. <laughs> they'll give you lots of it, uh -huh, uh -huh. if you're willing to do it. So you were you, were you being selective in, in certain times? I was trying times? to be selective, but you know, was I really in a position to be selective? Probably not. Mm -hmm. And did that have a negative effect on my career? Yeah, you could say it did, you know? I mean, let's face it, a lot of... The, Actors, a lot of other Latino actors have done a lot more work than I have. They've been in a lot more movies. Their um, IMDb list is way longer than uh -huh. mine. They've made way more money. They've had much more success in the terms of the Hollywood definition of that word mm -hmm. than I ever had. My success, the way I see it, comes in my relationship to the people who watch the movies. Their reaction to me or the um, the impact uh -huh. that my performances had on their lives, that's where my success is measured. And I didn't know you could measure success in that way. As a young man, I always thought it was just the definition of the Hollywood you know, the Hollywood definition of success. I see. As I got older, I realized, no, 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 there are other definitions of this word. Some actors will have much more material success than you, but they'll never, ever, ever have the kind of relationship with their viewing audience that you have been blessed to have been given during the course of your career. So that's kind of what separated me from them. And like I said earlier, allowed me to go to transition into, you know, marketing that in a way. For sure. No, and, it, you know, yeah. providing something that I think the fans would enjoy that would also help me too, you know. We have this sort of, I guess you could say, a symbiotic relationship. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah, because you, you're very tapped into the community. Uh, you have a very unique connection like you said, you know, with another otherwise a another actor uh, wouldn't, you know, with his his or her viewing audience, you know, again, you you really uh, you know tapped in with 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 the the viewers and again the community and the culture, right? The well, I was very you know blessed and fortunate to have that happen to me. I didn't know that could I didn't know that was on the menu. I never knew that 
could happen. Oh. It was over the years that I, I started to see. Like, you know, after Boulevard Nights came out, it was gone. There was no... Cable was just yeah. barely beginning. And then Boulevard Nights came on cable. And then Chicanos who couldn't afford, you know, um, to go out and buy a videotape. There wasn't one at the time anyway of Boulevard Nights. They taped it off a of cable. Yeah. And then yeah. they started spreading those homemade videotapes of Boulevard Nights <laughs> around the neighborhood. And the next thing you know, Boulevard Nights is like, you know, the hottest thing. <laughs> but in the most organic natural way it could be not because somebody not because some studio shoved it down your throat through ads Got it. no it was the people mm. that loved it wow. and therefore loved me they transferred their love of the movies to their love of me and I didn't really realize that all that was going on to be honest with you until we got into the internet and then there was MySpace oh Okay. Mid 2000s. No, late 90s actually. Oh, late 90s with MySpace. Okay. I think. Yeah. Oh no, no. MySpace was mid 2000s. You're right. Mid 2000s. Uh huh. But the internet was late 90s. Yes. That's when. This is what happened. Instead of people having to sit down and write you a letter and send it to Warner Brothers, and then maybe after Warner Brothers figures out figures out what your address is or whatever studio it is, sends you the letter and you get it three months later. Well, now with the internet, there's such a thing called email, and they just go do 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 click. Yep. Okay, so suddenly you start getting emails mm -hmm. if they can find your email address, right? <laughs> and then, like you said, in the mid 2000s, you got MySpace. Okay, now MySpace happens, and people find me on MySpace. I, I was on MySpace, and I started to get letters. I mean, they were paragraphs from people expressing what they felt about me and about Boulevard Nights and American Me. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe the things they were saying. I would literally sit there, because this is brand new, MySpace is brand new, okay, uh -huh. for me. Mm -hmm. And just cry. I would just cry. Just the tears, just, I never knew. I never had any idea. Sometimes you feel like you're a, you're a has-been, you're forgotten, mm -hmm. nobody remembers you, people have moved on, you know? Your work had zero impact on in the industry. As far as the industry was concerned, it was like I was never there. I was the invisible man. Uh, but I never thought about the people. It never occurred to me that, you know, it should have occurred to me. Because think about it. Oldies music. Mm -hmm. Some of that music goes back to the mid-50s. Yes. And it's just as alive today in the lives of today's Chicanos as it was 60 years ago. Of course. Why? Because they've kept it alive. Mm -hmm. Okay. I fell into that category. Gotcha. Yeah. And oh. wow, what a beautiful experience that was. Because there were times in my life when I had reached a very, very, very low point. Just, I was at the bottom of the barrel personally, you know, in terms of my self-esteem and all of that. And these people just lifted me up. They just mm. lifted my spirit. They wouldn't let me denigrate myself. They wouldn't let me not value myself. They just wouldn't do it. They wouldn't hear it. And uh, it was amazing. I'm, I always, you know, am so grateful and filled with so much gratitude for the love that that the Chicano community has given me over these mm. years. And it's just been, it's unbelievable. And each new generation that comes up, you know, when a person says to you, which I hear quite a lot, you know. I grew up with you. <laughs> yeah. 
I fall into that too. Baby. I stopped and think about what that means. Yeah. They grew up with me. I don't know them. They're complete strangers to me. Mm-hmm. But somehow I was a part of their childhood. I was a part of their their growing up, a part of their you know development as a person, and it has a meaning to them. Mm-hmm. I took that very seriously. When I stopped to think about what that really meant. I didn't know that's how things were going to go, but I realized the value of that. And I've, you know, since I did come to terms with it, of what that means, it's always meant a great deal to me. And I've always honored it and respected it and tried to be as loving and, and um, as possible towards the fans when I have a chance to interact with them, either digitally or in person. Hands right here, right, right here. Yeah, it means a lot. Doing this conversation, I know people think, "Oh, you're a big Hollywood actor," which I don't see myself that way, and I don't see myself as an icon or a legend or all these things that they call me. That's for them. I see. That's for them to decide that they're going to see me like that. But I can't see myself that way. Mm -hmm. That's just not me. Yeah. I don't like tooting my own horn. That's why, you know, being on this podcast, you know, it's a little bit like pulling teeth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm here and I'm doing it and I'm fine. Uh-huh. But man, talking about myself is just like, <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus, don't make me do it. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I, don't make me do it. I just, it's like, if you have to toot your own horn, then there's something wrong, you know. And I don't want to toot my horn. That's for other people to do. And I understand you're trying to make me understand that this isn't about me tooting my horn. It's just about me trying to express to people how I feel about my experiences of what I've been through. No, but this is a testament too, Danny. You being here, you know, I'm a you know a small podcast, whatever, and uh, you know you're, you're you're. There are no small podcasts, only small podcasters. <laughs> well, you know, as an example, you know, you 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 jumped at the opportunity. You said, "Hey, you didn't hesitate. Sure, I'll, I'll do your podcast." You know, and I think what you, as you just explained, you know, that's that's just a, a prime example of uh, you being a part. You know, taking your time. To really, you know, uh, you know, tap into the community and, 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 and you appreciate all of that. You know, the fact that, hey, I asked you and I want you to come on the platform. No, man, yeah, that's just a, we, a beautiful we thing. We belong man. to a beautiful community, bro. It's, a, it's amazing. All, all the love. A very loving community. Very family oriented. and You know, very supportive. That's all I can say. The support that I've gotten. Decades. It's uh-huh. been decades. Yeah. the support that my community has given me it's just unbelievable every time I think about it it blows me away but I'm very very grateful for it I really really am and uh, even though I'm you know I would kind of consider my current professional status as being semi-retired mm-hmm. um, I I still feel so beholden to everybody for just all the love that they continue to give me it, it feels great and you know I do feel like I have a few good performances left in me. I really do. Because, you know, when you get older, you know, yeah, your skin starts to sag and you start to age and get wrinkles and all that stuff happens, you know. And I, I But your talent doesn't do that. Your talent doesn't get wrinkles and your talent mm-hmm. doesn't sag. Your, your talent doesn't need a Brazilian butt lift, if you know <laughs> what I mean. In fact, your talent gets honed mm. to the point where you can do a lot more with a lot less. Gotcha, because gotcha. as you age... Energy takes on a new meaning, you know, mm. you, you, it has a new value, and you realize how precious energy is. So in the, um, in the, the way I use the energy is different now that I'm older than it was when I was younger. I was just 
letting energy go all over the place. I'm a lot more conservative and controlled about it now, and only using it when I need to use it for gotcha. specific purposes. You know, but it takes a lot of energy to do what I do, to travel to the communities and do the events. And sometimes I just want people to know this. They'll they'll ask me how much a certain item costs, right? And I'll tell them, and my prices are compared to a lot of talent out there doing meet and greets mm. they're asking for these phenomenal prices right for mm. these things which is fine you can ask for whatever price you want but compared to them i'm definitely on the lower end of the scale so when people say oh my god you're charging that much i want to tell them hey you have no idea what it took for me to get my ass here today and present all this beautiful merch to you not to mention what it took for me to produce that beautiful merch, yeah. the time, the energy, the money, the effort, it is a lot of work. And I ain't no spring chicken, you know? Uh -huh. I'm 64 years old now, so that energy, is, like I said earlier, is very valuable to me. But I just want everyone to know, hey, I, I work really hard to create the things I create so they can go in everyone's beautiful homes. I make them beautiful. I want them to look nice in your home. Of course. And it takes a lot of work to do that. So when you see the price of it, trust me, it's worth Every dime, if not more. Yeah, no, no doubt, Danny. I think, I think you put a lot. Of, you put your heart and soul into that. And uh, if it was something that you were just throwing together half-assed, then yeah, maybe you know, okay, I'll, the prices. But no, this is something you're passionate. You're putting your heart and soul into it. And but uh, let me tell you, yeah. I don't want to name any names, mm -hmm. but a lot of talent out there creates this merch as cheaply as they possibly can, and you can tell. You can tell us. Go ahead. Oh, no, <laughs> it's so cheap. And they're charging twice as much as I am. So when you look at the quality of my stuff, and most people that, that see my stuff, they look at it and they don't hesitate. They realize that it's beautiful stuff and they're more than happy. Mm. In fact, they if I have to give them change back for what they give me, they don't even want the change. Wow. They don't even want it. But on that note, I do want to say that I raise a lot of money for Homeboy Industries. Okay. Because I love Homeboy Industries and I want to give a huge shout out to Homeboy Industries, Father Gregory Boyle, mm. and the staff, the incredible staff of Homeboy Industries and the amazing work they do to change the lives of gangbangers. Mm -hmm. Not only in Los Angeles, but all around the country. But an amazing organization. If you don't know about Homeboy Industries, please go on homeboyindustries.org and get a virtual tour of the, the building and if you get a chance to go to downtown LA, stop and have a meal at the Homegirl Cafe or shop at the gift shop or go to the bakery. But um, it's, it's a great place. But what we do is sometimes people just want to take pictures. They don't want to buy any merch mm -hmm. with their camera. So I just ask them if they wouldn't mind donating to Homeboy Industries. And they decide how much they're going to give. And they drop it in the Homeboy bag. And you'd be surprised. Even from coins, mm -hmm. how much money it all adds up to. It's been added up to thousands of dollars wow. we've been able to provide for Homeboy. Yeah. So uh, that makes me feel good. Absolutely. No, they, Homeboy Industries, they've been at it for, I want to say, you know, even when I was a kid in 30, the 80s. 30 years. Yeah, right? Yeah, and 30 years. Absolutely. Over 30 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, big shot. That's awesome, Danny. No, it's, yeah, but, but like I said, Danny, I mean, it's a testament again. You know, to uh, your humility and uh, how how you you really appreciate the the community, the Latino community, the, the Chicano community uh, here in Southern California and beyond. You know, and uh, yeah, it, it, there's actors that uh, you know probably that have been on bigger uh, big platforms as you have, and they would never give you the time of day. You know what I mean? That's the 
that's a prime example. But this again, you know, it's just uh, amazing what you do, and um, it's, it's a it's a pleasure watching you, your humility, and you know, it's an example for all of us to well, follow. I love what I do. You know? I really do. I I enjoy the um, having a shop because it's almost like it's my house, mm-hmm. and the fans can come to my house, and we can interact in person. That's the best. I mean that. There's people who are standing next to me, you know, and I I can't believe it, but they're shaking. Mm-hmm. They're so excited to be there, and and they do all kinds of weird stuff. Like sometimes they'll step on your shoes, or or they'll walk away after they bought you know a hundred dollars worth of merch. They'll leave it all on the counter <laughs> because they're so nervous. They uh-huh. it means so much to them. When you see how much it means to somebody just to be in your presence. I've had people start crying. I mean, yeah. oh, that just. Well, you, you always hear about starstruck and stuff like that, right? And yeah, and it, it's a cool experience to meet you know someone as yourself who's, who's been you know in the public eye and, and you know in movies and yeah, that's I think yeah. that's cool, you know. But you and, can, they make you feel. Mm-hmm. I feel what they're feeling, mm. and that's what leaves the impression on me is I can feel what it means to them to be here. Mm. It's like wow, wow, you that's know, powerful. I, it is powerful. It's like, it's just amazing because you're just going about your day and doing your thing and, you know, and then <laughs> something like that comes your way and it makes you stop. It really makes you stop and smell the roses and go, wow, I never knew that, you know, my work as an actor could have that kind of an impact on people, you know? And those films are so old. This coming March, because Boulevard Nights and American Me both have March birthdays. Okay. Um, American Me turns 30. And Boulevard Nights turns 43. Wow. I like to tell people I'm 102. <laughs> and that I was at the um, inauguration of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> they always like that one. Oh, man. Yeah, those those two movies, man. They're obviously iconic. And, uh, yeah, if you're a Latino or anyone, man, I think you, you, you knew, you've seen those movies. And But I, I do want to mention another one that caught my eye. One of your movies in, uh, from the 90s. I think it was... Uh, Oh, in the early 2000s, uh, Road Dogs. Road Dogs, yeah. yes. Yeah, yes. Let's, let's give a shout-out to uh, Alfredo Ramos, the writer-director. Yes. Dear friend of mine, we've worked together, I think, on four projects now. We did. Uh, we started with an independent uh, feature film he made on 16mm with our with his own money, uh-huh. 11 G's. We made a comedy called Suckers. Oh, okay. uh, It's an acquired taste. It's a, it's a very funny movie, but, you know, we don't have any restraint in it at all. So I always tell people, if you're going to watch Suckers, man, you, you're either going to get it or you're not going to get it. But it's funny. It is funny. And it has a cult following. There's people that, once they've seen Suckers, oh, my God, they're part of the Suckers Club. You know, they love it. So we did that together first. And then after that, um, he, we did uh, Road Dogs. Mm-hmm. Which is a very good film, Road Dogs. I really love that film. I gotta see that. With Clifton Collins Clifton and uh, Collins Greg uh, and uh, Greg Serrano Emilio yeah. um, Rivera was in there. Jacob Vargas. Jacob Vargas. And Emilio Rivera is so good. There, Jacob, for me, Jacob's done. Oh my God, just this, just an amazing amount of work. Yes. This this guy has carved out for himself an amazing career, mm. but Road Dogs. Man, that that's a powerful performance. He is so brilliant in that film, and so is Emilio Rivera, and Clifton Collins. That whole cast—it's yeah. so well written. Alfredo wrote it, directed it, mm. and then um, years later we did Kill Capone, which is like a more modern uh, gangster film. 
Okay. It was that, that was out in 2012. We shot that. And that's kind of like my gangster trilogy, you know, Boulevard Nights, American Me, and then Kill Capone. Well, Road Dogs too, but I was more comic relief in Road Dogs. Okay. Kill Capone is more on the serious side, uh -huh. like Boulevard Nights and American Me were. And I love, have you seen Kill Capone? No, I haven't. Oh, I yet. love the role. I play, I play a uh, veterano in a wheelchair. Um, and it's just a really good role. You know, small little uh -huh. cameo, but a, but a great role. I got to say things in that role that I really wanted to say. Okay. About the life mm. and about uh, loyalty and yeah, it, it's a good film. It's a really good film. Kill Capone. People get the chance. I hope they see it. But Alfredo Ramos just recently got directing one. Just recently finished directing. Excuse me. One of the um, new reboots of the Garcia family, which is a reboot of the Brothers Garcia from Nickelodeon back in the early two thousands. Okay. Yeah, they're rebooting it on HBO. I think oh. it is, and he just got directing one of them. So. God bless you, Fredo. You know, we've been friends for years, and there's nobody that knows me like him, and nobody that... He's kind of like my Martin Scorsese, you know? Okay. That's okay. A, I'm like... We work together like De Niro and Scorsese. We, mm. He can just give me a look, and I'll, he doesn't have to say anything, and I'll know <laughs> what he means, cool. you know? And you, you play... Uh, your character was uh, Torneo, right? In the yes, Torneo. I love Torneo, man. Torneo, you know, he's, there, there's always that... There's always, there's always that guy in the hood that you grew up with, where you knew he, there wasn't, there was something missing or something wasn't quite right about him uh -huh. or her. Um, you know, they just didn't, they weren't at the level everybody else was at. And maybe they never got a driver's license and they just rode their bike well into their 30s or they were living with their grandmother and see. they didn't even have a room. She just pulled the curtain and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that. You know, I got they're you. a little on the slow side, maybe, but they were characters, you know, uh -huh. lovable characters, and they were just as much a part of the hood as anybody. Yes. And I remember one from the 60s back when I was a kid. Uh -huh. um, they used to call them retarded back then, you know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he had some mental challenge. He was mm. mentally challenged. Mm. And um, his name was David. Mm. And I kind of drew on him and other characters in the hood that I'd seen. And to give, like, a loving kind of a tribute to that particular kind of character but yeah his name is Torneo and yeah which I think means uh, what does it mean screw or nail or yeah yeah exactly screw. well he was a little screwy so yeah. it was a it was a fitting <laughs> name for him but yeah that was uh, that and people just love that part man I, I, I couldn't believe how much people laughed when they saw that in the screenings they were just rolling out of their chairs they couldn't believe that I played a part like that because it's so diametrically opposed okay to, to which puppet mm, let's mm, say in american me yeah. torneo and puppet don't even live on the same planet they live in the same hood but they're not <laughs> but on no, the same page at all you know? day, huh? which i love i always like variety man let me show you i can do more than i'm not just a one-trick pony i can play mm. other kinds of roles but i i never was able to get hollywood to see that mm. they were never i was never able to convince them yeah. that i you know i'm not this person you think i am you know yeah my last name is de la paz but i don't have to play that that character or whatever i i love playing latino roles mm -hmm. I'd prefer to play Latino roles, okay. but well-written ones, mm. ones that were truthful and honest and believable and three-dimensional, not one dimension, not two dimensions, all three. I see. But you didn't get that a lot of times. You had these parts that were like, you know, they were like paper doll cutouts, you know? Uh -huh. 
And I, I just I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I, I was a complete failure when it came to just taking it, taking the money and running, you know, and uh, sucking it up or whatever. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I know a lot of the other guys, they did it, and they did it beautifully, and God bless them. Uh-huh. I admire them for it, but I just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And that's why people didn't see me for a long time on the screen, because I just kind of faded away. I see. There he goes. See, is it safe to say, Danny, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't just do anything? Like you mentioned, you had to. You were looking for these roles to have substance behind them, right? You, yeah, and, right? and for me to be able to play a role that I felt I could do well, you know, I could bring some, I could bring something to the table. Mm. I couldn't bring anything to the table with some of those parts. I, I people would ask me, "Why aren't you in this movie? Why aren't you in that movie?" Man, I, I that wasn't the movie for me. You know, I, I wasn't mm. destined to be in that film. I, the film came out very well, and the person that got the part is wonderful in it. But that wasn't a role for me. You know, I or see. why aren't you on the Mayans? You know, that's not my type of character. I'm not like the motorcycle guy. Uh-huh. That yeah. isn't, and you know, and all that posing and stuff. I, I, I'm not a poser, man. I can't just. It's not just about attitude for me. Uh-huh. I like characters where you can see their vulnerability. You know, they're struggling with something. They have an inner struggle. Mm-hmm. Chuko had an inner struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Puppet had an inner struggle. Yeah. I uh, Definitely, um, Wizard and Kill Capone had an inner struggle. I love that because all of us have that. Yeah. We all have that part of ourselves that we struggle with. You know, we have the light side and the dark side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people used to ask me, how can you play these characters? You know, you're such a a bad influence on the rasa you know you play these these gangsters and but i try to bring some humanity to them i don't see them as gangsters mm-hmm. i see them as human beings yes. they've made different choices than you but who's to say your choices are more or less valuable than theirs who are you to judge them mm-hmm. that's a great point great who point. the hell are you and you know i was never a gangster i wasn't uh-huh. but let me tell you i have been judged just like they have uh-huh. So I know what it feels like to be them. Because since I'm kind of like their ambassador, representing uh-huh. them in yeah. the entertainment industry, I've had to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune in terms of the way that people have come at me for playing those roles. Not a lot of people, mm. but some people have really given me the, you know, the high hard one for what they say is my, you know, negative influence on the culture by playing these stereotypical parts. Yeah. I don't think of Puppet and Chuko as stereotypes at all. They're human beings. They're human. Yeah, they're... And I, I'm, my job was to bring dignity to those roles, to make, to bring out the humanity. That's how I saw it. That's what I always try to do. You know, yes, Dorneo's funny, but he's a human being too. And he's trying to function. I know he's not on the same page as everybody else, but he's on a page. Mm-hmm. And in his world, you know, being out there selling those Bibles and those food stamps, that was his reality. You know, he takes it very seriously. And the fact that these guys aren't going for it, you know, it upset him. Mm-hmm. So I was playing him for real. I wasn't trying to play like a joke or, yeah. you know, Dornell wasn't a joke to me. He was a real person. So um, that's kind of how I look at the roles, getting back to what you were saying earlier, mm-hmm. that I want to play. Mm. No, it's fascinating, Danny. It's uh, really cool stuff, man. You know, as a you know, an actor myself, you know, so it, you know, getting to talk to an actor who's been on, on you know major stuff, 
and how things kind of play out, how things come to fruition, and how they you get to you know pick and choose your roles and how opportunities come and all that good stuff, man. It's really interesting, man. How you know what goes behind, you know how you these roles, you know how, how you approach them. Yes. Yeah, how you approach them. And every actor is different, Andy. Every actor, every actor has a different idea of what their career is and mm. and uh, of the kind of roles they're willing to play. You know. Um, Every actor is completely different, and and maybe I was, you know, not meant to be in that Hollywood environment. It's a very dark world. Uh, I think someday soon it's going to clear up. They're going to drain the swamp, but it's very, very, very dark. I always tell, you know, women come up to me sometimes, say, oh, I want to get my kid into acting, into Hollywood. And I'm like, no, you don't. That's the last place you want to put your children. The last place. Trust me when I tell you this. I'm not uh-huh. saying this for my health. Wow. Don't do it. Why do you say that? The darkness. It's just dark. Mm. I don't want to go into any details. Yeah. I think people already know what I'm talking about. Mm. Mm. You know, you do I the math. You. you do the math. I got you. I got you. But it's ugly, and I didn't like it. I didn't like the way that people treat each other in that environment. I didn't like the class system. I used to get yelled at, okay, by people, because other actors even. For having extras in my dressing room on the set. Mm-hmm. Because I would talk to them, get to know them. They were nice people. You know, they were working there like we were. They were professional like we were. Uh-huh. What's the difference? But they used to come down to me. How can you have those extras in your room? You know, don't you know you're, you're a star? You can't have people. Oh, oh yeah. Please, Mary Louise, give me a freaking break. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I couldn't. That whole... Yeah, I got you. Bullshit. I, I just, that's mm. just such a crock of shit. And it still goes on to this day. Now, the uh, extras are getting their revenge. Because look at social media. Look at the power it's given them. Oh, yeah. Little Puppet and I, Daniel Villarreal, are good, very good friends. We mm. met on American Me. We did a short film called La Ramfla about three years ago. Okay. Okay? Put it on social media. At the end of the little short film, I think it's maybe three, four minutes, is a couple of um, stand-up comics, okay? Chicano stand-up comics that do the little tag at the end of the video, you know? You could call them extras, whatever, right? But they, they had lines, right? Okay, one of them is named Chris Estrada. Okay. Okay, he delivers like this line at the end of the... You haven't seen the... Have you seen the... La, la, la Rafa? No, I haven't. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Anyway... Chris just got his own show on Hulu. Chris Estrada, okay. Yeah, okay. okay. His own show on Hulu. Even I don't have my own show on Hulu. <laughs> God bless you, Chris Estrada. Thank you for being in our short film. So, but look at that. He came from social media. He came from doing stand-up comedy. Okay. You know, at the clubs. Um, Frankie Quinones yes. from 805 also. He's just got his own HBO mm. special. They don't need... Hollywood anymore really they have their own power you know I I, I call it revenge of the extras I love it I absolutely love it you know who's laughing now Mm -hmm. who's who's gonna judge them now you know yeah that's what bothers me about Hollywood is it's just it's just full of so much unnecessary bullshit Mm. and I got sick of it I got turned off by it I didn't want to be around it anymore Mm. I didn't want to go to the auditions and jump through those hoops like a trained dog Mm. like a trained poodle I was like no I don't need this anymore that's when I discovered the marketing I go how can I support myself 
and do something I love doing. Yeah. Because, see, I was always a collector. Mm. So collecting was a world that I knew. And I would... And I saw how the Comic Cons were so popular, and they were popular oh, in yeah. the 90s. They were coming up. Sure. And that just gave me the idea, you know what? I got a lot of fans. Let me see if I can offer a little something to them. And I was able to keep myself afloat doing something I enjoyed yeah. doing. Because I am a very creative person. I have to create. Mm -hmm. I make my own frames. I make my own images. I make my own posters. I make my own bobbleheads. I do everything. Okay. And my merch has come a long way, Andy. A long way. You know, at the beginning, looking back at some of that early merch, apologies to any of you that have it in your home. <laughs> I'm willing to trade for free if you have some of that old stuff and you want to trade up. Bring it on down, and I'll give you some new stuff. Oh, well, okay. But, you know, you get better at doing whatever yeah, it is you're doing. exactly. Your first podcast compared to the one you're doing now? Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Miles. Night and day, baby. Yes, Night and day. Yes, I was the same way. But that saved me, believe it or not. The whole thing with the, you know, I have a website, ddlpmerch.com. Okay. And all of that saved me. Mm. It really did save me. It made me, I was able to do something I was happy about, and I didn't miss not being in Hollywood anymore. Yeah, I do miss acting, but I had theater. I can still do theater and do plays. Okay. And I love doing plays because you're right there in front of that audience. I love that. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you're not funny, they don't laugh. Yeah. There's yeah. no bullshit involved in theater. You're either, it yeah. either works or it doesn't work, and you know immediately. And if you mess up, you don't get a second take, baby. That train has left the station, and it ain't stopping until it re reaches its destination, yeah. you know? Yes, yes. And by the way, you mentioned uh, theater, Danny. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You did some stuff... Uh, with Cal State LA? Mm hmm Theater department? I did stuff with Cal State LA. I did stuff with um, Rio Hondo College and Whittier. I did stuff with Whittier College. Okay. Um, yeah. Cerritos College. Mm. You know, I grew up in Whittier, so all the area around there, all yes. the colleges around there. Yeah, I, when I was in high school, I, I I got bitten by the acting bug. That's where it really all started. I was going to ask you, I was like, what? What yeah. inspired you to get in, Danny De La Paz? How did you get in acting? Why did I you get in acting? I was 14 years old, and I had a friend, my friend Joe, and he said, uh, hey, what, what do you think about trying out for the school play? We're freshmen in high school. We just got there. Mm. It's September. The school year just started. Oh, wow. You know, I, I was a you know, decent enough person as far as being an athlete is concerned, but I was nothing special. My brother was the, my brother, my nine years older than me brother. Okay. Okay. Had set all the records at my high school. His name was everywhere in the gym, all over the... You know, athlete? Or? Yeah, athlete. Oh. So what, there's no way I was going to measure up to football, my, my brother. Football, basketball, baseball, Everything. all of it. He was just an all-around athlete. Okay. So I couldn't compete with him. I needed to establish myself and make my own name in my own area. Mm. And then we um, tried out for the play, and uh, it was run by the our English teacher. Her name was Bonnie. Okay. She was young. She was 27, 28, and we were 14. So, you know, she was young for a teacher. And that was it. We got cast in the play, and we started, you know, rehearsing and memorizing lines and doing all the things one does. And all of a sudden, I just had this feeling like, wow, I, I like this. You know, this is, you know, it's like you walk, in, <laughs> you walk into a place or, and you just feel comfortable. Like, yes. like you belong there. Exactly. You feel like you belong there. Mm. There's a lot of times you walk into a place and you think, oh, I don't belong here. <laughs> right. You know, where's the nearest exit? Yes. But no, I right away, I just felt like, yeah. The whole rehearsal process and being on stage and working with the actors, and then they build the sets, and you get to step into this imaginary world where there are doors and windows, and 
I freaking loved it. You just caught the My dad was, you know, God bless my dad. I love him, but he was an alcoholic, and mm. we had a lot of problems at home. Mm. But when I walked into my little fantasy world, and I was this other person, I could forget all yes. about that. It was like freaking therapy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now that I'm older, I look back and I see what it was, you know, what the attraction was. Yes. And then audience would come when we would see, when we would do the plays, we'd have audiences in the theater, you know, 300 people. And some of them weren't, weren't from your high school. Some of them were from other high schools. Okay. Or they were people that, you know, adults. And these people would wait after the play was over uh-huh. for you to get changed and come out. So that they could tell you how much they liked your performance. Okay, right then and there, I was like, "Oh wow, that's very cool." People, people like me doing this. You know, I mean, I'm getting, I'm getting feedback. Yes, and it's positive feedback, and that just gives you more confidence and confidence motivation. and encouragement and motivation. It's like you're a locomotive, and they keep shoving coal, yeah. and you know, and you can keep going forward. And that's basically how it happened. That's how I got into, um, by the time I was a senior in high school, I had my first professional job and I was getting paid. Wow. I got it in the spring. I started rehearsing in the spring. What was that? Of my senior year. It was a musical review at Knott's Berry Farm. A half hour musical <laughs> review. I was the only person of color in the cast and I was the youngest member of the cast. Everybody was in their late 20s and 30s. Very cool. And I was getting paid $250 a week, whatever it was, which was a lot of money in 1975. Heck yeah. And I had to leave school. Uh, I couldn't be in school because we rehearsed in the day. Oh, and I had better. to take <laughs> night classes at night school in order to graduate, which I did and got my diploma. Mm-hmm. But uh, can you imagine you're a professional actor and you haven't even graduated from high school? Yeah. I mean, if that didn't tell you you weren't meant to be in the business. And I had no relatives in the business, no connections, nothing. I was just some Mexican kid from Whittier. Yeah. But, you know, Whittier is only half an hour from Hollywood. Yeah. It's your backyard. If you were going to be an actor, okay, and God was going to place you somewhere, Whittier was the perfect place. That teacher, Bonnie, I spoke of earlier, was the best. She guided me through four years of, I can't tell you how many roles I played. Musicals, dramas, comedies, I did it all because of her support and she recognized that I had talent and she just molded me and, and helped shape me as an actor you know yeah, yeah. so I owe a lot of my success to her I really do God bless you Bonnie you know out there and um, you know the she lives out there in um, by the Palma Springs area okay oh wow well, you, you, uh, you've Kept in touch, touch with her? Yes. Yeah, throughout the years, all your yes. big roles and yes. everything. Oh, yes. very cool. Yes. Very cool. Yeah. We became very good friends, personal friends. That's awesome. And yeah. remain so yeah. to this day. Yeah, that's awesome. Dan. Yeah, that's a great story, man. I, I was I wanted to know how you know what was uh, that initial spark that got you into acting, and you know, a couple more questions before we wrap things up, Danny. Um, what what uh, what? Well, yeah, your 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 love for the hat, the the, the lowrider style hat, right? And uh, you did that collaboration with Summit Hats, but where does your? Uh, I mean, you you you've been known to wear that for that hat now. I mean, it's part of it's part of you. It seems like right. It's just part of your your persona, your 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 um, just your image and everything. You as an actor and yes. as a person, it just goes hand in hand with you. That but hat. It's, it's very organic how okay. that happened. How, yeah, it happened Talk because you know when I got cast in Boulevard Nights, then the homeboys that they hired to be with me. God bless them. Some of them didn't make it past 20 mm. years old, you know. They um, 
taught me how to dress, how to wear my hair, how to walk, the things I could say and couldn't say. They fixed the script when it wasn't right. You know, they were wonderful. Wow. They're wonderful. Mm-hmm. And but you know, ten weeks of filming Boulevard Nights and being in those pants that were you know, 10 sizes too big for my skinny-ass body at the time. <laughs> too cool. And having that look and wearing those tank tops and the Pendletons and, and wearing that black felt hat. Uh, you know, that hat. Uh, I got to the point where I liked that hat. That hat and I became friends. I see. I didn't dress like that before Boulevard Nights. But after it, I noticed that I started gravitating more towards wanting to wear chinos and wanting to incorporate clothes like that into my everyday oh. style, my estilo, as they would call yes. it. Yes. And so, um, yeah, so eventually, you know, when I started to do the marketing thing a little bit later on, because um, we skipped a whole decade of the 80s, but in the 90s, I would wear the hat. Okay. Because the hat was comfortable to me in that world that we were creating, right? And I liked wearing those hats. And after a while, I just became associated with them. You know, people just, they, if I would take off the hat, it's almost like they wouldn't recognize exactly. me. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So I put on the hat, and then, oh, okay, I know who you are, you know? <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. So it's, I had a feeling it stemmed from, from it stemmed Boulevard from Nights. Boulevard Nights, from it really did, from my, um, my really feeling comfortable wearing it because I had to wear it. Mm-hmm. I had to wear that hat for the whole movie. Yeah. Wow. In the hot summer of 78 and boy, it was hot. Gosh. Yeah. I remember my makeup was melting. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow, man. That's, that's incredible, man. you got an incredible story, Danny. And the, the last sto- uh, last question before we wrap it up, man. And who, who do you, uh, I like to ask all my, my guests this question. You know, who would you sit down with? Who would you love to sit down A mentor, someone you've looked up in great influence in your life. I mean, who are three individuals that you would love to sit down and, and have dinner with? If I could sit down with Marlon Brando, Montgomery Clift, and Jimmy Dean, mm. I think I could just... Yeah, that's a great, great list, gosh. Wow. Um, no, I, I love that. Unbelievable, James James Dean. Gosh, you know, and I've been reading up on his, you know, how he. Uh, and matter of fact, I this summer we took a. I get emotional when I just think about it. Yeah. You know, I liken it to okay. You know how you guys feel about me, right? Okay, that's how I feel about them. I I grew up on them. They touched me, mm-hmm. and their style of their acting. Their acting was organic, and it came from deep within them. It wasn't on the surface. Mm. They made you feel something. See, that's what my theory is about Boulevard Nights and American Me. You don't just watch those movies. They make you feel something. It's the feeling that you remember. That's why you love them, because Mm. of the feeling they gave you. You didn't just watch them and go, okay, yeah, it's a good movie. You can watch movies like, no offense, but Lowrider. Is that what it's called, Lowriders? Oh, okay. It came it's out recently, a couple well years ago. Film. It's very well constructed. It's a good film. You know, it's a, it's it's very well pro- professional. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make you feel anything though. You know, that's the thing. Some films don't make that connection. Yes. They don't value it when they're making the movie. Mm. So, or they're they're unable to achieve that for whatever reason. Yeah. 
And so it doesn't have a, a lasting impression. Gotcha. You know, I can remember a lot of Chicanos when that movie came out, you know, feeling a little bit disappointed mm. because of it lacked that, even though they couldn't put their finger on it. I knew that's what it was. But those performances from those three guys I mentioned earlier, they make you feel yeah. something. And, and you just don't forget that. You know, you know that that actor had to go someplace. They didn't just phone it in. Mm -hmm. They went to that dark place. They went to that ugly place. They were willing to put themselves through that mm -hmm. so that you could have that experience. Yeah. And yeah. that's okay. That's unique. That's that's yeah. yeah. That's 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 the ultimate for me mm -hmm. as an actor. If you're willing to go there, if you're willing to sacrifice yourself so that others can have that experience, wow. Would you say you did that with 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 a big puppet? Uh, maybe I did it unknowingly. Mm. I wanted to. Mm. I I put as much of my blood, sweat, and tears into that part. I really did. I I gave it everything I had. I didn't have anything else to give. Mm. I really didn't. I, you know, I knew that my number one task was to make people believe that I loved my brother because if they didn't believe I loved him then the ending would not have meant anything it's only because they knew I loved him yes that the ending was as powerful as it was and you know that the sound you hear at the end when I'm choking him you know don't look at me and all that stuff that we say and god damn me and all that that isn't the sound that we made live on location that sound which was even more powerful than what you guys see now oh, wow. had to be jettisoned because the sound of the motor of the camera <laughs> covered it up oh. and so I had to go back in a studio in a box uh -huh. with a microphone watching that little portion of the film and put the voice back in yeah I tried to get in that zone but I couldn't when I hear the actual, oh, Gosh. it's even more powerful than what you guys saw. But And I was so disappointed because I thought they're never going to get it now. Now that I put my fake voice in there, that isn't anywhere near as intense. But, you know, I I underestimated the fact that an audience didn't know anything about this scene. Had never, They would never have any idea that wasn't recorded on the set. Gosh. And it still worked. And I don't care. That's movies. They work. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if you put it together the right way. It works. You know all that prison footage um, where they have the face-off between the blacks and the Chicanos? Yes. That's not even all shot in the prison. Oh. Part of it was part of it was shot in one prison, part of it was shot in another prison, and part of it was shot in a Hollywood studio. Okay. And it was all blended together. Yeah. And now even I can't tell what's what. Yeah. It's amazing. Oh. What they can, that's why deep fake technology is so scary because, man... They can make you believe shit that is not true. Okay. If it's in a movie, that's one thing. But if you're looking at what's supposed to be news footage or real life, beware. Beware what they can do because mm. they can manipulate you like, well, like a puppet. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, no pun intended, right? <laughs> I want to tell you something. Just, can I just say this? It's yes. Been, oh, I feel a little bit nervous, but it's been a pleasure. You know, talking with you today, I just get, I don't know what it is, I get so emotional about, you know, talking about myself. <laughs> Danny Thal, man, thank you, man. This this is really, this is an honor for me, Danny. This is special. And uh, the fact that you, you know, I, I can't put into words what, what this means to me, Danny. 
you know, thank you for, for sharing. You're welcome. Sorry about my breakdown right now. <laughs> like a little bit of a, uh, a moment, but, you know, it's just that I always thought that the work would speak for itself, you know? If you want to know what kind of actor I am, watch the movies. You don't have to ask me questions about the whatever, you know, just watch the movies and... If you feel it, you feel it. You don't feel it, you don't feel it. You know, what can I say? I do the best I could do at the at the time, under the given circumstances, with where I was at as a person. Because like I said, you get older, you learn more, you got a little bit more tools in the toolbox when you're older, you know? Absolutely. Danny, I admire you, man. I admire your, your body of work, you as an actor, as a professional, as a, as a human being. And uh, like I said, man, it, it's uh, this is a, this experience for me. And, you know, you can ask my wife, she... She was, uh, you know, she, uh, I, my mom, and I was really, you know, this is this is so I special. It. And, I appreciate it. Yeah, because you're a real one, man. You're, I you know, it very much. absolutely, man. It's and, been and, a pleasure doing this. It really has been. It's been kind of therapeutic, actually. Oh, good. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I've been through a, a therapy <laughs> session with my psychiatrist. Is our 55 minutes over now? Uh, yeah, we're a little over an hour and 11 minutes, but hey, man, oh, it, it's worth much. every second. Thank no, you. no, thank you, Danny. And thank Thank you to all of you for, you know, supporting him and what he does and all of the fabulous podcasters out there because you all are taking over the planet. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> it's a, it's Appreciate it. Yeah, Danny. No, thank you once again for taking the time here. Um, you know, ladies, where, before we go, Danny, where can the people follow you on Instagram, your oh, websites? Yeah, and, yeah. See, yeah. I'm, such a, I'm so bad at self-promotion. I just forget about <laughs> That's why I'm here. People man. are like, you know, you forgot to mention your website. Okay, I've got a website if you're interested in the merch. And that's DDLP, like Danny Day La Paz, DDLPmerch.com. Um, I'm on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash AdamBoy13, A-T-O-M-B-O-Y-1-3. And I'm on Instagram at Big Puppet, one word. And I'm on TikTok at DDLP underscore Big Puppet, one word. So I'm trying to keep up with all that, you know, social media stuff, but it's exhausting. You know, you need, I need a crew. I, I need to find some a staff huh? to come and help me, you know, yeah. crack that whip. Because, man, I get lazy sometimes. God, content creators, man, you, that's a job. It is. It is. That's, I, I admire you for what you do. It's, it's a job. It is. It's Absolutely. a lot of work. Mm -hmm. you got to prep for it, then you got to do it, then you got to do the post on it. And, and then do it all over again. And keep doing it because if you want to be out there you got to keep on top of it you know I, I, yeah, I hear you Danny but you know I love it I'm passionate about it oh no you won't you wouldn't be doing it if you weren't of course it's of not course. worth it if you don't have a passion for it it really isn't yeah it's too much energy too much uh, effort to yes. not have a passion for it absolutely man no no hey once again there you have it ladies and gentlemen Danny De La Paz go follow him go check out his merch go check out his Instagram his website and, and Danny once again I, I want to thank you for taking this time and coming down to my home here in the studio. You are very, yeah. very welcome. It's been a pleasure. And I'm pleased to uh, pardon my small breakdown there. No, no. That's, that's, that's why you're so real, man. That's why the, peop that's why the people love you, man, because, you, you know, you're, you're, you're not afraid to... You're carried away. Yeah, no doubt, man. No doubt. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in, wherever you're tuning in from. If you're tuning in on YouTube, Roku now. If you're on the audio platforms, IG Live. Uh, you know, I'm, I can't thank you enough for being here with, with Danny and, and myself and Double A. Um, go, remember, go give me uh, some feedback on on, uh, on Apple Podcast rate and review. Hit me up on a DM if you want to be a guest on this podcast. 
uh, shoot me a, a direct message on Instagram. But you got to be doing something extraordinary in life to inspire the human spirit, as you just saw, Mr. Danny Delapaz. Um, yeah. So I, I'm here. I'm just. Uh, it's surreal being here with with, with this gentleman here. And uh, but don't forget to do all of that. Follow me on Instagram, Club, uh, Clubhouse, Twitter, all that good stuff. Roku, don't forget about Roku, Social Nostra Network. For Danny De La Paz, I'm Double A here in the Profile Pod TV studios. We'll be back next time. And always remember to take it easy. And go Dodgers. That's right. That's right. <laughs> always. Thanks again, D.